Bethann, you're next, next month, right? You and Dave? Well, June, but we, have to, we like to get in a month early just in case. You know how you first-time moms are. It's just you can't figure it out. And I know, you, no, not that you can't figure out how to be a mom. I mean, you can't figure out when the baby's actually coming. Wow, that didn't come out right. Woo! This might be, a, this might be the worst sermon ever. Oh, good grief. No, I really meant that you can't figure out when the baby's coming. <laughs> But, you know, there is truth you can't figure out parenthood. I mean, there's, we're still working on it. So this morning, um, it's, it's Palm Sunday. woohoo! And uh, next week is Easter Sunday. And this morning, I thought, as you can see, we're not in Ecclesiastes this morning. Uh, I might preach a Easter sermon out of Ecclesiastes next week. <laughs> I have no idea how that's going to work, but I think it might. And um, we'll see how God kind of moves me through the week. Uh, but this, this week, we're gonna, I'm going to change uh, pace a little bit. And so what I'm going to do is kind of do a survey of a couple of chapters out of the book of Isaiah that I believe it's, it's relevant to Palm Sunday. And so instead of spending you know, a month on a verse like we usually do, we're going to spend just a morning on a tire two chapters. And, and it's going to just, we're going to kind of bounce quickly through, and we're going to read a little, and I'm going to chat a little, but hopefully at the end, we're going to see how this all kind of is included within this idea that Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry, and he's triumphantly entering into Jerusalem. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll begin. Father, I want to thank you for the love that you have for your church. Thank you for the season that we are in. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. There's a verse in the first chapter, um, I'm sorry, there, uh, chapter 45 of Isaiah in the first verse. There's this phrase and it says, burst into song, shout for joy. Now there's a lot of that type of talk throughout the scripture about being um, celebratory, bursting into song, being joyful. And what I have found is in my own life and even sometimes in the life of the church is that it's probably one of the most disobeyed commands in the scripture to be joyful, to celebrate, to shout, to, to just break out into song. Churches, churches don't, I mean, it's, it's not that we don't like that. Some churches don't like that feeling of becoming unglued, becoming too celebration-focused, you know? I, I mean, it's, it's, we like to celebrate a little bit, but we like to keep it orderly, right? I mean, you can clap as long as you clap in time and not too much. And maybe a little at the end of the song, but there's no woo-woo at the end of the song, but it's just, just a few claps, Right? And we can raise our hands, as long as not everybody's raising their hand, because that just looks like you're part of a cult. But, but as long as there's a few people, and then you have those that are not quite there yet, and they do this because they don't want to go up here, because that's, that's just off the hook a little bit too much. And, and so there's this, we like to keep kind of things orderly. 
in, in, in church. I mean, we don't want people waving flags because that's going to put somebody's eye out in the back there. So, so we kind of limit that in our celebration. But here's the thing. God is creating something new. And it's crazy new. And it's taking place each and every day. And it's, and it's, it's joyful beyond what we can comprehend. All of creation is experiencing this renewal as, as we are. And sometimes it feels dirt slow. I'm not quite that analogy worked, but it sounded good when it left my mouth. Um, really slow. Snail slow. That's a better one. But God is creating and doing something new. And we should have a heart that rejoices. That we should have a heart that, that is joyful because salvation is Joy. Joy is a part of salvation. They can't, be, they can't be separated. Like a hardened heart is really a joyless heart. Now, again, the church calendar today, Palm Sunday. Jesus, picture this. He is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the crowd has come unglued. There are shouting and dancing and rejoicing. They are taking these palm branches and they're laying them down before him. They're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a huge celebration that's taking place. Now, that type of celebration, that type of happiness, that type of joy, it can offend religious people. And in fact, it did offend the religious people of Jesus' day because religious people like control. They like to keep things nice and boxed, and they like to be in control, and they want to make sure in some way, shape, or form that you understand that the religious people are in control, and you're kind of supposed to follow suit. Well, that's not what was happening on this, this Sunday when Jesus is coming in. People are celebrating, and the religious people are getting a little bit nervous because this is out of hands. And so to them, I could imagine, first of all, it's, it seemed heretical to them. Like, who is this guy, this, this Jesus? And also very childish. Why would you dance around and, and, and celebrate like this? But, you know, I found in my own life that um, acting like a child is good for the soul sometimes. I mean, not throwing a temper tantrum. Well, no, actually, that could be good for the soul too. But, like, the, you know, the, the, other, the other part of just... I don't care what people think, carefree, I'm just going to run around in my diaper and that's it. Just, just that kind of act like a child, you know, and that might be TMI, I apologize for that. But, but you know, that type of thing, it feels good for the soul. Because if you watch children, they have this great sense of joy when they're joyful. And they don't care. And they just do what they do out of this childlike innocence that man someday I'd like to like grab a hold of again. But our gospel, the good news, is about joy, sacred and divine and holy. It's joy for sinners. It's joy for those bad people. I was thinking maybe we should get a sign for our doors that says all dirty, rotten sinners are welcome. Love Jesus. Amen. Right? Because really, that's who we are 
and that's what we've been redeemed from. We are all dirty, rotten sinners by grace have been saved. And I have to continually remind myself that because of Christ, I have inherited every blessing the Father has to offer. Every blessing the Father has to offer. I have been saved from my sin. I have been born into eternal life. My humanity has been restored to have meaning even today, not just something in the future, but today. And if I can begin to remember that and remind myself that, then man, I should have a little bit of joy, right? I should walk around a little bit. I shouldn't be the Eeyore Christian. I should have some smile on my face. My spirit should be able to be a little carefree anyway. See, something I'm, I'm trying to learn over these last few weeks is that kind of in the no matter what of life, to the best of our ability, we should celebrate God's scandalous grace and be joyful in that grace. Now, coming out of chapter 52, at the end of chapter 52 in Isaiah, chapter 53, Isaiah is talking about the servant of the Lord and how the servant's going to suffer. And so by the time he gets into chapter 54, he's going to bring to our attention, paint these pictures of God's grace, and he's going to do it in, in three different ways. He's going to do it, first he's going to speak about a, a barren woman who is no longer barren, a wife who has been reconciled and comforted by her husband, and a city that's been rebuilt using precious stones and jewels. And these are examples of God's grace, of the scandal of grace. And then in chapter 55, which we're going to get to, again, we're going to bounce pretty quick through these, so hold on to your hats. Chapter 55 kind of connects to chapter 54. I don't believe the two should, I mean, they do stand alone, but they are really complementary of each other. Chapter 55 is about the invitation to this grace and kind of what it looks like. How do, how do we engage it? From the beginning of this book to the end, it's always that the whole narrative of the story is God breathing life into his people. From, from when he created us, he breathes life into us. And it's always about him desiring that we would have life and abundance, and he's giving us and he's blessing us. And, and, and it's, it's, he wants to restore us back to the beauty of the garden like before chapter three in Genesis. That's what he desires for his people. And he does that by just pouring his grace upon his church. And so as we break into Isaiah, maybe not, there we go. Isaiah 54, it says this. Sing, barren woman, who never you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Here's the first picture of God's grace. In Isaiah's culture, uh, it was believed that if you had no children, that uh, you were accursed of God or of the gods. And we know that not to be true 
in any way, shape, or form in, through the scripture. But, but this is what the people believed in this time. And so what he's doing, he's comparing this barren woman to Israel and saying, you know, you, you people, you, you really have nothing and that there is this sense of longing and wanting and there's a sense of desperation and almost a sense of shame. And there's nothing in yourselves, of yourselves, to be happy. But what he's pointing to, he said, no, 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 wait, wait. Look to the servant of the Lord. Look to the servant of the Lord because there you will find happiness. There your sadness will turn to joy. There your shame will be removed. That even in the state of, of sorrow and disappointment, when we look to the servant of the Lord, something changes. Something is instigated within our soul and we begin to be free of those feelings. See, he's, he's kind of pointing to the fact that as people, our failure is, is real. We have failed on many, many different fronts in our lives. Spiritual, physical, emotional. I mean, we can, I can list for you my shortcomings, but we don't have time, I guarantee it. But even within that failure, we can know joy because we have the one who succeeded on our behalf, the servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ. See, there's two ways to serve God. So you can either trust in your own good intentions and your own, your own works, or you can trust in the power of God in your weakness. Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter four. I wanna encourage you to trust in the power of God in your weakness. That's a much better way of doing things because see, we can, look, we can all look good and we can talk well and we can give the Sunday school answers and we can try to behave well, but in our own strength, there is nothing good about it. Our good behavior at best compared to the glory of the Lord is rotten. But here's what the gospel says. That when Christ entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, the donkey carried him and he carried each and every one of our failures and he carried it right to the cross and he put it there and he forgave us and we have been healed. Amen. That's the gospel story. That's the grace of God. And Isaiah sees grace as something that's just spread across the world. Yeah, you were barren, but not anymore. Now we hope in the Lord and we trust in his work in our lives. Really, we have nothing really to be proud of, and yet we don't hold our head down in shame because we celebrate what has been done for us. We celebrate the work that's been done for us. We can look at our lives and we can try to say, yeah, I got it all figured out, I'm doing well. You know, and really, it's, it's just, it amounts to very, very little. But when we look at our true God, when we look to him, who is our victor, working in us and through us for his glory to understand that we are part of something so much bigger than our own little worlds. 
than our own little cubicle, than our own little home, than our life. We are part of something much, much bigger than ourselves because of Christ in the cross, we begin to live differently. See, like the human race is dying out. Like we're all dying. Happy Palm Sunday, right? We can't save anyone, but God can. And God will. And God does. And it's done through the power of his Holy Spirit. And I don't know why he uses the church, because it's just a beautiful mess at best. But he uses the church. He uses us. He uses us. And we are to join him in his work. Isaiah 54, 4 through 8, it says, Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandon you with but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for, from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is the second image of God's grace in Isaiah 54, about a wife who's being reconciled back to her husband, who's been kind of beat on a little bit and beat up a little bit. But now God is saying, you know what, I'm, I'm looking past guilt and I'm looking at your pain. I'm looking at the things that you're suffering. I'm looking at the hurt that you've experienced or are experiencing. And here it says, you know, God was angry at one point, but he's, he's not angry anymore. He's, he's taking away our guilt. He's taking away our shame. And we'll be healed by his love the love that came in the flesh, the love that's, that's Christ. See, you have to understand that God doesn't love you one minute and then doesn't love you the next minute. His love for you is not based on your behavior. It's not based on how good you were today or how rotten you're gonna be tomorrow. His love is based on who he is, and so it cannot change. It is the same always. His love for you, for God so loved what? The world, the world. Even those people who hate him, he loves. And so it doesn't ebb and flow. And we have a covenant. Uh, his love is based in covenant. Look at it says in, in uh, verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Not by what you say, what you do, how you failed, how rotten you were yesterday, how rotten you're going to be today. God's love for you remains. Nor my covenant of peace be removed. The word peace, shalom, complete, life, vitality. See, the Lord has compassion on us. Here's the third picture that Isaiah paints. Afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted. 
I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli. That's an that's a Italian stone. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. See, the third image of God's grace is this rebuilt city, precious stones and jewels, and this city will live and, and be forever. It's the same city that John talks about in Revelation 21. Our salvation, believe it or else, is a communal experience. It's not just about me and then you over there. It's about community. It's about being together. The community started in Jerusalem and then it went out and now it's this thing we call the church. And it's these churches all over the world that are experiencing salvation. And God is making all things new. He's remodeling creation. And we will live in this amazing new city at the return of Christ. This is the vision of his blessing, which will last forever. God will, regrace the, or he will replace the poverty of the church with wealth. He'll replace the turmoil, our turmoil, with security and our despair with, with comfort. This is what we celebrate. This is what Palm Sunday is the beginning of. And then they'll continue on. All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you, and you will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. Again, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is our vindication from God. We will experience endless peace. Great will be our peace. And by God's grace, we will be established in righteousness. Not our own righteous, righteousness, but the righteousness of our Savior. God will defend us. He will be our shield. Nothing that comes against us can stand because we don't fight for ourselves. Our God fights for us. This is God's grace to his people. This is what we should be celebrating and shouting joyful shouts. I'll, I'll just make sure it's under control. And so he paints this picture of God's grace, and now he moves into chapter 55, and he's going to talk about the invitation. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Grace is not a theory. Grace is not a theology. 
Grace is not a philosophy. Grace is something tangible and real, and it's meant to be experienced by the people of God. So it's not just this thing we talk about. It's this thing we receive. That's grace. It's too good to be true. That's what grace is. And yet he invites us. Like, come on. Come, come to the waters and drink. It's free. You know why it's free? Because it's grace. It's the same again, invitation in Revelation 22. All those who are thirsty, come and drink. Don't just sit there. Stop sitting there just thinking about it. Get off your butts. Two T's because I wouldn't say butt with one T because that would be improper in church. Get off of your butts and walk towards the Lord our God and receive this gift of grace. It's, you're, you're being invited and you need to bring nothing but yourself. Nothing but yourself. The cost has already been paid. Amen. See, the only thing that keeps you from the grace of God is you. That's it. Nothing else keeps you from God's grace but you. And the invitation is always there. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, eat. We don't deserve it. You can't buy what's not for sale. You can't earn it. All we have to do is walk toward it. See, to understand our Christian experience is to understand that it all comes from the Lord, all of it. We have nothing to bring to the table because the table is already filled and we just come and eat and be refreshed. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, not me. This is the Lord speaking. Listen to the Lord and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Like, what is the payoff we hope to get by operating in our own strength and what the world has to offer us? What is, what is the thing that we look, what are, what are we trying to earn? What are we trying to achieve? I'm amazed in my own life how often I buy bread that doesn't give me any satisfaction in the long run. In my own life. No matter how expensive it is, I'm, I'm going after. Our world seems to be a marketplace of God alternatives. Hey, you know, you just need this. You need maybe that, maybe a few of these. And so we are all pulled into these little pockets of God alternatives, thinking that that's what's going to bring me satisfaction. That's what's going to free me, make me happy, give me joy. Here, here's how I know. Here's just a, a small example in my own life. Um, a bunch of months ago, our family switched phone carriers. And part of the switch was we all got the iPhone 7. Now, the iPhone 7, I must say, is a pretty sexy phone. It's nice and thin. It's got a better camera. It's got a nice battery. I got the Apple case. Why? Because that's just how I roll. It's leather. And so it was new and exciting. And I was like, we got I, we're, the whole family are iPhone 7. What now, huh? That's right, iPhone 7s. But now I've had it for a while, and it's, it's a little frumpy at this point. It's just an iPhone 7, and, and I wonder what the iPhone 8 is going to be like. 
not saying that I'll get one for the family, but I'm pretty sure I'll probably have one for myself when it comes out because that's how I roll. Why do we always look for things in this world that never satisfy? There's always gonna be an upgrade because the world wants us to stay in this loop of buying into the God alternative. But yet, there's that part within us that will never be satisfied with anything but him. Satisfaction truly only comes in the name of the Lord. Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. One, two, Three times it says, listen, in those two verses. And then it says, give ear. What do you think God's trying to say? Listen to me. (laughs) Listen to the Lord. See, God is not Walmart. He's Saks Fifth Avenue. His banquet is not the soup kitchen. It's a five-star restaurant with all you can eat. The table has been set And he's saying, listen to me. The word of God is life. And uh, let me just just add this. If you are not in his word, if you are not reading it and engaging it and letting it marinate over you, then it's like you're eating spiritual potato chips thinking it's healthy protein. You're getting nothing. The Lord pointed that out to me this week. I'm always reading the Bible. I take classes online, I have to read the Bible. I have to preach, I have to read the Bible. He says, no, you're missing the point, Dennis. I don't care about that. I don't want you to study this. I want this to become me and you, you and me. If you are not reading the Bible, you are spiritually dying. And we, children of God, we have an everlasting covenant. Our brokenness and our sin can't overcome it. See, our brokenness and sin has already been factored into the covenant, and that factor is Jesus Christ. He's covered it all, and now grace upon grace, this is the dance of grace. This is the joy that we should have because we have been forgiven. This is how we quiet the world that kind of spins in our brain. Mm -mm. I've got the grace of God. And nothing is going to take that away from me. Nothing can take it away. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he was near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, he will freely pardon To seek the Lord means that we become very deliberate in the way that we live our life, that we begin to move in different rhythms and the rhythms that God calls us to. Church, we need to get rid of all of the things that keep us from the Lord. All of those things in our life that are just pulling us away from him. If you're too busy to read the word of God every day, Stop it. No matter how good it looks, 
no matter how righteous it feels, no matter how you think that you're doing this to serve God, stop it. Nothing is more important than hearing the word of God. To seek the Lord is about realigning everything in our lives in a way that we put him first. See, he's not, he's not the peripheral. He's not the salad. He's the main course. Too many times we want to sprinkle a little Jesus into what we're doing in life. Like, hey, I got this thing I'm doing over here. Jesus, why don't you come over and help me out with this? Instead of saying, God, what are you doing? Can I join you with what you're working on? Too often we, we, we live our lives and we like to sprinkle and season it with a little prayer. What if we focused on prayer and then seasoned our prayer with our lives? Things would be much different in the way we live. I see in my own life and in the life of church that we've become so tolerant of sin and we've become really good at defending it and rationalizing it and saying, no, that's not what God really meant and he, he wants me to be happy and he wants me to, and we just go on and on and on and we, and we rationalize it. And, and you know what? We've lost our edge as the church. We've lost that, that, that radical cultural Christianity, that radical generosity, that, that just radical living thing. You see, following Jesus pushes, following Jesus should push against the world. It's counterintuitive to the world to follow Christ as he's been revealed in this book. And I wonder, are we really living in that way? You see, you just can't give a little tweak here, polish this little section up here. It's not just about being nice church-going people. If we don't live with repentance, if there's no submission, if there's no forsaking self, if there's no real pursuit of Jesus, because all that is is, is Sunday morning is just, it could be just some sentimental morning religion experience. See, Sunday morning and just this experience that we have here, though I believe is important, but if this is all it is, if you're doing your time, if you're checking off the lists, and there's nothing else in your life. This is not what God sent Jesus to die for. He died for life. Every day, waking moment of your life, Jesus came to die to redeem. Amen. Everything, not just Sunday morning. If you want to dine at the table... If you want to really experience the grace of God, here it is. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him. Forsake that, that stuff in your life that is keeping you from him. Let him get into your head. Point out those things that he's going, no, 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 no. And return to the Lord. And look, imagine that he has mercy on us and he will freely pardon. Do you understand that? He is not going to make the ticket out and give you the fine. He will freely pardon our sin. 
through his mercy, through his grace. He continues, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Aha, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, I, I come to this verse a lot and, and you know, I, I, think, I, I laugh because, you know, sometimes, you know, I believe I know what the Lord wants. According to the scripture, I have no idea what he wants. And yet he continually invites, invites me in to what he's doing. See, I get this sense from these verses that we're gonna have to stop defending ourselves and trying to rationalize whatever it is we're trying to and go to the Lord and ask him, search my heart, re-examine what's going on inside me. Help me figure this thing out. You know, we expect so little from God as Christians. I mean, we really do. We act like our God's this tiny little God et. And I know that because we can't even understand the gift of grace fully. How can we understand the wide glory that he really is? We've just scratched the surface. That's the scandal of grace. I am convinced that when I walk into heaven on that day, there's going to be people there that look at me and go, you made it? <laughs> and I'm going to look around and go, I'm surprised you're here. <laughs> That's the scandal of grace. And that should humble us. Our humility towards the Lord is truly our salvation. It really is. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth that will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So God says to Israel, I'm going to give you this land, right? And it's going to be called the promised land, and it's going to be the land of Canaan. But what's interesting about the land of Canaan, it has no real natural rivers that, that kind of flow through it. And so God had brought his people into this promised land, and this, these people had to completely put their trust that God was going to provide for them the rain that was needed to water the flocks and water uh, the crops and so that they could live. They had to rely, they had to, by faith, trust that God would take care of them. And now Isaiah kind of, he, he said, okay, rain and, how, and what rain does for the land is exactly like God's word. God's word brings life. God's word is beyond us, yet we're invited into it in an intimate way. God's word overcomes death because life overcomes death. God's word is, is the purpose for his people because it is life and, and it, he wants us to know life, not just eternally, but today life. And this, this phrase, so is my word, verse 11, that goes out from my mouth, my word 
It's all the promises that God has spoken. They will come to fruition. Isaiah, I believe, in chapter 40 somewhere, he, or one of the 40s, he writes that the grass withers and the flowers will fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Forever. And now we get to the pistence of resistance or whatever that French word is. Or you, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills were burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And here we see the dance of grace, the celebration of grace. You know, it doesn't matter how people will respond to the message of the gospel. All of creation will rejoice one day. All of creation will be put back together. It will explode in joyful assembly when Jesus finally returns and God frees it from the deterioration that sin has caused. You see, salvation is not just about humanity. It's about all of God's creation. It's the big picture. He redeems it all. We will be a, there's gonna be a renewed creation being lived in and enjoyed by a renewed humanity, ruled by the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And John writes in chapter 21 of Revelation, he says, I don't see a temple in the renewal because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, are the temple. And so Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry we celebrate this day as we prepare for Easter. What we celebrate really is the triumph of God's grace on his people. It was the beginning of such an amazing chapter that God was writing. Isaiah was bringing it to the people long before Jesus ever came to earth, preparing us, preparing the people God's grace is going to be poured out and it's going to be like something you've never seen. And that grace was this peasant preacher. Not well-dressed. Riding on a donkey. Headed to the cross for each one of us. God's grace. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've caused it to be written. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for Jesus, who is our grace. Amen. Amen. Amen.